Welcome to the Benzinga Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Noto. My guest today is Sunira Madani, a true trailblazer in the world of biz and finance. She founded Stacks Payments, one of the top 10 fastest growing fintech companies in the U.S. She is the first female CEO to lead a unicorn out of Florida, meaning Stacks went from an idea to a billion dollar plus valuation. Sunira was recognized by Fortune's 40 Under 40, honored as Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year and Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Influential Women, and Inc.'s 100 Female Founders, to name a few. And now she's a guest on Benzinga Interviews. Sunira, how are you today? I'm doing amazing, and I'm so glad we are on. For the audience that does not know what just happened, we spent the last 20 minutes on, like, no matter what you have planned, it's like this is life of an entrepreneur and uh, also a podcast host. I am one too. Uh, we couldn't <laughs> figure it out, but I'm so glad we did because we figured it out and I'm here now. So very well, excited. You, as, as a hit podcast host, you know the struggle. I'm sure you've had a, your fair share of sound issues. Yes. So many. I think we're on episode, I think we're about to cross like 300 episodes. Maybe we have, we just uh, surpassed a million downloads. And so it's been uh, an amazing three-year journey with CEO School, the podcast. And um, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it is a lot of work. I do know that too. CEO School, which is yeah. a great name for a podcast. I would imagine that that name was taken. Because it's so hard to, when you've come up with an idea for a show, it's so hard to like really get like a good solid title and something that hasn't been done already. And CEO school has such a nice ring to it. It wasn't taken. No, I have, uh, I would say I have a knack for naming things. Uh, it's definitely like when I retire, I would love to, like, that's all I want to do is like name companies and products and um, stacks, I believe was also an amazing name. Um, and I'm always coming up with like just, I just love it. I love naming. I've named several different companies for my friends as well. And so uh, where CEO school came from is um, I didn't go to CEO school. I built an incredibly large organization from the age of like 26 without any experience, no money in my bank account. I was told no every single step of the way. Uh, no from this idea wasn't going to scale. No from I can't raise the venture that I needed. No from like, you know, from investors to customers to every single uphill battle that I had to climb. Um, but I didn't take no for an answer and uh, problem solved. And I think, Tony, you got a, you got a little, you know, a, a little bit of that today of like the not give up <laughs> tenacity of making it happen. And so um, I attribute that to my amazing immigrant parents who sacrificed a lot for uh, my brother and I to be here. And uh, we just, we make it happen. We, you know, uh, you know, get shit done. And so that's how Stacks, you know, succeeded. We like willed our way there almost. And as a entrepreneur, specifically a female entrepreneur, um, just so many struggles. And um, I always felt like I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't go to CEO school. Yet every day I showed up for a job that was harder than the one I had yesterday because of how fast the company was growing. And um, I felt like there was this amazing boys club. My brother and I co-founded the company and I saw his network and what that did for him and his the mentorship and the resources and like where is that for i felt so lonely um and it's lonely as an entrepreneur but especially as like a mother um a woman of color and just like the list goes on and uh felt like that's 
why I wanted to create CEO school because you actually don't need CEO school. And I felt like I needed right. some sort of validation because I didn't have the Harvard degree and I didn't have the fancy pedigree, uh, but you don't need it. And all you need is to learn from other people and their amazing experiences. And that is what CEO school is. And we get to learn from other amazing women who have made it you know, uh, to the top and are sharing their successes and tactics. And so I have such an amazing, this podcast is so fun because I just get to interview wildly successful women and pretty much go on a coffee date with them and help inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs and dreamers and doers. Well, I got to ask, you know, if I can have half the tenacity that you do, I think I'll, I'll be all right. But I, <laughs> I also uh, share something in common with you. I am, I'm the son of, a, of an immigrant and my dad sacrificed a lot for, for me. And uh, I have to ask, what, what is, how did that factor in, being the, the kid of immigrant parents? Oh, my God, so much to factor in. If, you know, you could probably relate. Um, you just don't take things for granted. Uh, and there is just this level of um, family values, I would say. I grew up around um, just a household filled with, like, so much love and abundance and um, it took a village to, you know, run our home as well. It was just community was like a big part of how mm. we grew up. And it was a community that extended beyond just our parents. And it was our aunts and uncles and cousins and neighbors and everything else. And although we didn't have much, it was more than enough. And you just, you know, you, you celebrated uh, everyone's successes and you really learn how, like, you know, it's the work ethic also of seeing my immigrant parents work and how much they sacrificed to give us an education. Like that was the number one most important thing for my parents. Neither one of them um, went to college. Um, you know, my, my, um, you know, my mother didn't even grad was able to graduate high school. They literally moved here at the age of like 16 and 14 wow. and, um, became entrepreneurs, but they became entrepreneurs out of necessity, right? Not because it was sexy at the time. It's just because that is, was their only means to the American dream. And their American dream was to make sure that their kids had an education and had the opportunities that they didn't. And so that was never like taken for granted. My brother and I worked like every weekend, um, in our family businesses. So my whole life, I like got an MBA without knowing it. And <laughs> yeah, like when I started the company, it was like, it was super easy for me to, you know, go to my, you know, it was my brother who was, you know, he was working out in, you know, California, working for another startup. And it was like a no brainer to say like, Hey, you got to move to Orlando. We got to, you know, we got to go build this thing. And the answer was absolutely yes. And we took that, uh, that company to from nothing to, you know, over 140 million in revenue, exited it twice, did multiple rounds of, of funding and, and, and just growth and growth over a decade, which did not happen overnight. Uh, but we're super proud of it. And um, I know my parents are proud too. Absolutely. How could they not be? I mean, I just read that you met President Biden and Vice President Harris recently. Yeah, recently I was invited to the White House uh, for Eid, uh, which is um, a beautiful holiday. It is our Muslim holiday, and they had Eid dinner at the end of Ramadan, and you celebrate a big, you know, the breaking of the fast. And I was invited 
um, by president and vice president to come join them for the celebration of Eve. And it was such a moment um, as just like and in every level uh, being, you know, Pakistani Muslim is not something I've um, I've now learned to really I've always been proud of my culture. But growing up in an environment post 9-11, especially also in a business setting, it was not something that come, came out, comes out first. Right. And it has been as a mother. I, now I have I have two daughters. Uh, Mila is turning seven next week uh, and uh, my little one's four. And wow. now I understand, like, I really want to ensure that they are also super proud to be Pakistani, uh, second generation American. And so it's just been like post motherhood. I've been really wanting to, I've been embracing more and more. And it is, it was such an honor uh, to be at the White House. And I actually got to take my mother uh, who has never gone to the White House before. And she gained her citizenship in the, um, in the nineties. And so it was like such an amazing family moment. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, my mom was impressed when I met Montel Williams. I can imagine you how <laughs> incredibly proud your parents were that their daughter got to take them to the White House. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I have to ask, though, about stacks. Yeah. Because, and the amount of no's that you got. Uh, why? Because it seems like, obviously, it fulfills a need. It's... Uh, I mean, there are other companies like Stripe and Amazon and Payoneer that, and Venmo. Obviously, these are services that people know and use. Why would Stacks get the no? Because, or I get, why would Stacks get yeah. so many no's? Well, I would say it's, it's not Stacks that got the no's. It was I that got the no's, right? So okay. scaling and building a startup. Um, I'm sure. So one, I would say that our timing was really great in the marketplace. 10 years ago, payments was like, um, there wasn't a lot of technology that was emerging in payments. We had a couple of like, now it's like a couple of players, Square and Stripe had just like started getting traction into the marketplace. PayPal was, um, you know, an early adopter of like digital payments. However, we were becoming more and more cashless as all the, everything made sense for you to have a, um, you know, to invest in technology that in fintech. And a decade ago, my timing could not have been better. I had experience in payments. I was working for a payment processor. However, I would say here is a 26-year-old brown girl who has no experience, who didn't go to CEO school, and says, here's this wildly different idea of launching the first subscription-based credit card processing solution, right? And so although there was um, you know, something that I do know is the fact, and I am, you know, now as an investor as well, I see, and I see it from all sides. Men are given investment for their potential. Women are given investment for what they've done. Less than 3% of venture capital still today in 2023, in 2022, less than 3% still went to female founded companies at the height of venture capital, at the height of venture capital. Yeah. The gap is really uh, wildly disparate, right? Mm -hmm. And so I do think that the journey is just harder. It's just harder for women to raise the capital that they need to get the buy-in that they need. You also need a network. I didn't have a good old boys network as well, right? And so I think there was a lot of things that, um, you know, 
there was a lot of challenges along the way. However, um, you, you know, don't take no for an answer. And I would say that we were a unicorn to begin with, even before we got started. Uh, you know, let, not all the venture capital, we raised capital out of Orlando, Florida as well. Less than 1% goes to minority founders. I mean, I can give you stat after stat, uh, but why we were successful and why we were able to do it is because we had an incredible business. Our business was growing fast. Even though I didn't have the dollars, I was bootstrapping the capital uh, to, to, and every dollar in was yielding money out, right? So we had a very successful business that investors then could not say no to. Who said yes? Who's the first Who one that yes? got the ball rolling? Actually, it was a female investor. Her name's Kelly Cohen. Uh, she is a dear friend of mine. She's been a mentor now for over a decade. I actually recently, she traveled with me to Abu Dhabi. We went to the, I was speaking at the Forbes Women's, Women's Summit uh, in Abu Dhabi. And she was my, um, she, she came with me as my guest and um, she was an angel investor. So she invested not a massive amount, but she was the first person to say yes uh, especially at such an early stage of an idea and building a tech company also requires a lot of capital. So it's not, um, you know, a, you know, a physical goods product or building technology, um, you know, required a lot of capital. So um, she was the first check and it was a check of confidence also that I needed. So I want to ask you this and I and I hope you're okay talking about it because I want to sort of make this interview a little bit different than some of the, the big profiles you've gotten and there's something that you just said that struck me which was the the boys club yeah now I I your story exemplifies why it's important for women to succeed and help out that next generation because the boys club they have down pat and a lot is said on Benzenga.com about uh, young entrepreneurs, um, especially those in, in fields that are getting a lot of hype, one being cryptocurrency. And let's be honest, like, like you just said, like uh, cashless payment systems, they, it, the timing was right. And yet you still had an issue. Whereas somebody like Sam Bankman Freed can come along in his 20s well-connected and he just gets the, they back the money truck right up to him. Yeah. Um, you can argue that the same thing happened with Martin Shkreli, the farmer bro, who was very young and they just trusted him with tons and tons of money. Then there was, who's a woman, but she uh, had the boys connected to her like Tim Draper and, and other people. And I'm talking about Elizabeth Holmes um it really how, try to when you hear these stories what goes through your mind like uh, listen i i'm gonna i just met you today but i i'm going to you know assume that you're you're of upstanding character you're an amazing person and um what, what do you think of when you hear like these stories about those folks who made it and you had such a hard time well, I don't think they've made it. I think they were utter failures. Um, well, I mean, for the moment, that they, the were, moment. That they, they, they momentarily made it. They had yeah, right. I think that. Um, I think that the network. I think the first thing it is. I mean, it's frustrating, right? I mean, it, it is frustrating um, that. But it's also your network matters. 
right? And that is that is how the the business world currently operates. And that's why I feel super passionate about what we're doing at CEO school is building the network, building the network for women. So it is important. There's so many facets to this to this question that I can go down, right? So one, I do believe like it shows the power of like network is important, right? Because people are blindly giving the dollars to um, to these founders and it doesn't matter their age. It didn't matter their experience. It didn't matter, you know, it was, these are the Zuckerberg. This is like the Silicon Valley perfect, like why the same style of people continue to get investments. Cause we have these biases that are naturally built in that if you see a, you know, you go on to pitch and you wear that, you have that Silicon Valley hoodie look that this is like a genius quirky founder and although he may have like, he's not the right fit for CEO, not the right visionary, he will get the capital. So naturally as humans, we have these biases that are built in. Right. And so we create those stories. So that is a reason why some of these things take place, but what it, what, and that needs to break. Right. And these are the conversations and I appreciate you having this conversation with me today. Um, and this is why, the venture capital, you know, system is so broken. And the only way to fix it is by getting more, like bringing in diversity, this conversation about diversity, it's not just another like check on the box. It is super important because you're missing out on companies like Stacks, right? You're missing out on companies that have such great potential just because I don't fit um, and I think this is an audio only podcast, um, but I'm a five foot, um, you know, Pakistani woman. Like, it, it, <laughs> like, like I do not fit the mold. I have, you know, I have, you know, tattoos and jewelry and I'm, 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 uh, I'm not wearing a hoodie. I am, uh, you know, my no, for, the, for those hood. listening, you're dressed very nicely. I, I'm the yeah. one wearing the hoodie. You're the, you're the, you're the one. <laughs> But we have these biases of what a CEO looks like, right? So right. many times in my entire career, I'll tell you what is frustrating. So I do think that that has to change up top in the venture capitalist system. And I, I do think that now with some of these examples of the failures, venture capitalists, um, we're, you know, they're, we're learning from that as well. But there's so much work to be done. It's going to take 208 years of parity. I read some report um, 208 years for women to gain parity to men and to men uh, from just an equality standpoint. And so there's a lot of work that needs to get done. The frustrating part, I would say it's not just in venture capitalism. There are such stereotypes and biases that are built in how many times, like I was CEO, I, I, I recently exited by the way. And so, um, it's been 10 years of the company after doing the billion dollar, um, taking it to like every height that I could. Um, it was time for me to, you know, exit the company and I'm really proud of what we've built and we've got a great leadership team in place. And, um, but I have now, uh, moved on from stacks and, but I would say that my 10 year journey, the amount of times that I was the, um, the CM people assumed that I was like the marketer of the company, the executive assistant to my brother, the, like, we do not even like, we have so much biases when it comes to even women in leadership positions. And so that is something that I am, you know, we need to see more faces of CEOs that don't look 
pale, male, and stale. And so I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it again and again, because it is important for my daughters to see women like them and to see women and to see, um, you know, diversity and to see, you know, all the kinds of faces from an age, from, from age to color, to ethnicity, to whatever. It's super important because imagine the world that we're living in is being built by one style of people. Our products and services are designed then for those styles of people. We recruit then those styles of people. And it's not about that there's anything wrong with being, I, that, that I do feel like sometimes white males are given this like bad rap too. It's not about that, but it is important to have diversity of thought around the table. And you are literally missing out on building some of the world's greatest products, services, and companies if you leave out complete genders and complete uh, and 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 not a reflection of what the world actually looks like. And so, I can sit here and talk about this all day. It's definitely frustrating, and uh, you know, I appreciate the dialogue. So, all right. So you you grew up in Dallas, but you spent some time in Atlanta. You said right is where you launched the company. I launched the company in Orlando, but Orlando. Our- but our many of our investors and our first board and um, just our venture partners were based out of Atlanta, Fulcrum Equity, um, just incredible venture partners. They definitely believed in us from, you know, an early, um, early stage from series A to series C. They were part of our journey and uh, super grateful for for them and for the Atlanta ecosystem. So um, Atlanta is a big hub for fintech and for payments, especially. And so we definitely had um, an office there and just a lot of presence in Atlanta. But what's that VC community like now? And especially if, if you want to narrow it down to fintech, uh, we can. But if you, if, in speaking broadly, yeah. venture capital is uh, not doing well. I mean, there was a spike in Q1 for volume compared to Q4. Uh, but a lot of that was concentrated on like a small number of deals. Uh, what do you say to the folks who are listening? They're like, Hey, I'm uh, venture capital. I'm not going to be able to raise venture capital anyway, because it's so hard. Uh, even, even the, the white dudes are are getting told no. Um, you know, and, and, uh, how do you ensure that there's going to be more unicorns out there? Uh, when the norm is that venture capital is so difficult to raise. Yeah, venture capital is very difficult to raise right now, but I think it was time that markets stabilized, right? So for so long, there were heightened valuations and, um, you know, there was there was a lot of money being pumped into uh, businesses for, you know, that didn't that didn't match that valuation, right? And so that's what, you know, it, it is correcting. The market is correcting itself. And and for those uh, founders that are looking to raise capital, yes, you're not just going to get you know capital for this idea that you have um, anymore, right? This app-based whatever. Like you have to show um, proof, and you have to show the right KPIs, and you have to show scale, and you have to show growth. So to those founders, I say is that you can still raise venture capital. So it's not that the capital is not there. You actually have to have a business that is. Um, scalable and that you have those metrics to prove it. And I, I will say that that is what investors are looking for. So it's not that it's not available. I will say the people are doing less and less deals, but they're, they're still doing deals. I'm, I sit on many boards. I, uh, I'm a, um, 
I support many like uh, venture venture partners like Fulcrum. Currently, I advise them on so many deals as well. Okay. And we, there's definitely deal flow taking place and definitely deal flow happening. So, but it is you have to make sure that your your business is actually um, you know is supporting that growth. It's, is it harder? Yes, but if you have a great business and you have the right uh, scale metrics you can raise the capital to scale it. So you have to go, you just have to work harder for it. And also the valuations are more in line. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to be, um, you're not going to get forward multiples and forward valuations. And so you're going to get fair multiples right now. And so I will say that it's not that it's not happening. It's definitely harder. Um, and so, but you got to get creative, right? And so. Yeah. How do you get creative? Yeah, I will tell you, I had an incredible business and I was, and it was hard for me to raise venture. I was uh, sharing my business at business pitch competitions. And so I took home over $200,000 in prize wins from like venture plan competitions in my first two years as a, uh, as a founder um, of the company in 2013 and 14. And um, I got creative. I wasn't able to go get the, the investors that I needed my, my, you know, everything was showing in the right traductions. So I got on stages and I was like, let me, let me go pitch the, my business. And I was winning checks from first place coming from these business plan competitions. And then that's how I caught the attention of, of, um, of my first investors. And so that's just one example, but bootstrapping is also, I don't know why bootstrapping is such, I think that we're so used to you know, this market has been in such a great, um, you know, such a, such a great market for so long and we've been able to have access to this capital. So we just assume that that's what we need. So go actually go build your business, go bootstrap your business and go prove your business. You can do friends and family around. You can get scrappy. You can go focus on revenue to go drive what you need as well. And so I do think that there is a way for you to roll up your sleeves and it's not going to be comfortable because, you know, there's no, you're, you know, the checks aren't flying in and that's not how it works anyway for most of us. Right. Um, right. For most of us like me. Right. So we have to get scrappy. We got to go figure it out. So that's my advice to you that if you are a founder listening here, just there's no such thing as a billion dollar idea, only a billion dollar execution. Go execute, go execute every single day. And you might not even need the investors then. Beyond your professional achievements, you're also a mom of two, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Is that yes. what you said? Almost seven, July 5th. Don't take that away. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'm curious to know, what kind of a world do you envision for your kids? Well, I envision a world that is equitable and they have every opportunity to be and dream and see um, anything that they want to. I mean, I think that's every parent's dream for their kids. I know that was a dream for my parents, for us, and I um, have that same hope for them. I also hope for a world where people are just kinder and nicer and um, are more in person. I am very nervous as a new parent or a younger parent, uh, and I have no idea what you know, my kids aren't on social yet, or they're not on device, you know, devices besides like it's all control. Everything is like we control their world. And so I'm super, super nervous on what the future holds from a technology standpoint, from a connectivity standpoint, 
I know one of the things that has made um, me personally very successful are all of the relationships that I've gotten to build and just the interpersonal skills and being able to do this, right? Like just us having this conversation. I don't, I don't like, these are just natural skills that you, you get to do over time because we are, we've lived in a world that's a human world. And so that's the hope. That's my still hope to hold on to that for our next generations. I see a lot of challenges as a, even as a CEO that employed a lot of Gen Z, we had about 400 employees at the company um, um, this last, you know, this last year uh, before I exited and, you know, a lot of millennials and, and even the new Gen Zers as interns and things like that. And I would say that it is, I, the, the value of like everything is so quick um, from our how we digest content to how we communicate um, that it does. It's really challenging for that collaboration and that like just the good old like the whiteboard sessions and the, those things I saw really miss in business. I mean, we were an in-person company before, you know, and then COVID, we, we were a hybrid and back in person. I was really pushing for us to be uh, as much as we could in person. And I do personally love the hybrid model. Um, I don't love the fully remote um, work systems, although it is amazing as an employee, as like, it is great. However, as a business, it does suffer. Like there is this magic that takes place when teams are together. And so all of those things, I don't know what's going to happen. I see, um, I see what's happening right now in, in our world today. And my kids aren't even like, they don't, you know, they're not even um, in first grade, like my little one's not even yeah. in first grade yet. So I hope for a world that is equitable, that, you know, everybody has a seat at the table and hopefully a physical table that everyone's at. Um, yeah, it goes back to bringing the family together, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I want to uh, pitch you one last question and then I'll let you go because we're, we're hovering over uh, 31 minutes now, but... I have to ask this. You could probably do anything. Now that you exited Stacks, uh, I imagine you have uh, quite a bit of capital that you can uh, invest in companies and, or at least the, the life experience to think of and start another company. Uh, is it just as, and I don't mean that it's just CEO school. I know running a, a hit podcast is, is challenging enough, but is there something else that you would like to start up? Yeah, I would say that um, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. Right. And so um, I do, um, like, I do want to continue to um, use my mind. I don't see, I, I'm 35 years old. And so uh, there's, I have had a lot of success at a very early age and I just don't want to waste, I don't want to waste that. And so yeah. Um, I love work and I love seeing building, building things and uh, disrupting things. And so um, there you will not see the end of the, of, of Sal and Snera coming into something. <laughs> soon. However, I will say I am fully focused on scaling CEO school as well. I do think there is a big void for female founders and not just from a podcast perspective, our podcast turned into a community and an actual 
um, collective. And so we have, you know, um, just the most amazing platform for female founders that I am scaling and supporting. And uh, so that is something that I'm super, super passionate um, about and around. And, um, you know, less than 2% of female founders, we break that million in revenue. And I think that's a huge, huge challenge. And so we have to go, you know, think about scaling our businesses and um, we bring in the, you know, just the most amazing mentors and experts to come in and coach our cohorts. We have a cohort model um, for our women. Um, and so we've got, um, you know, over 3000 women we've put through CEO school. And so, you know, I'm on a mission to support as many female founders as I can. And so that I've been doing even alongside, I've been doing this since 2020, even while I had stacks. So scaling CEO school is going to be always part of my mission to support, uh, female entrepreneurs everywhere. Um, but yes, we are very excited to, um, you know, go build another unicorn. And you're also the subject of a documentary series. Did I read that right? <laughs> yes. You, you want to plug it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So HubSpot and LinkedIn did a beautiful docuseries called Spiraling Up and it's stories of entrepreneurs um, because the journey is not linear uh, to the top. And so um, I was one of the episodes for that. It was super fun to film and a really unique experience and really great working with LinkedIn and HubSpot. I get the most unbelievable opportunities, Tony, and I'm super grateful uh, to be here on the show today. Um, and I do it because um, it's important. It's important for voices like uh, mine to be heard. And that's why I'm here. And so I appreciate all of you guys listening. If you want to check out CEO School, um, we're on all social media. You can find me at Sanira Madani. Um, I am a, you're either going to love me on social or you're going to love me immediately. There's like no in between. Uh, but come find me on social media through LinkedIn, um, you know, Twitter and uh, Instagram is where I mostly spend my time. So it's Sanira Madani and uh, you can find all the things um, there. Samira, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope to have you again sometime. Tony, I would love that. I really, really enjoyed today. And I'm so glad we made it happen. We did it. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today.